there's a typical thing with guys that, you know, they start their bar and it's like all the bottles are lined up against the back of whatever it is, a bar, a buffet or whatever, right? A tray will add depth and dimension. And actually, if you put your bottles within the tray, you're building it towards you or out versus across the back. And so it allows that other space that can the other space where the tray is not for you to put more barware, but also more importantly, functionally allows you to use the bar. So the tray is kind of our number one kind of secret on how to build an adult bar. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. This is all about diving into the nuances of collecting and ultimately finding out whether or not our guests have what we like to call the collector's gene. If you have the time, please subscribe and leave a review. It truly helps. Thanks a bunch for listening. And please enjoy today's guest on Collector's Dream Radio. Today's guest is the proprietor of J. Earl & Sons, a company that celebrates vintage barware, collecting, and the home bar. As for its founder, Jeff Parrott has been collecting vintage barware for quite some time. So when 2020 rolled around, Jeff decided to take a tangent where he's brand cultivator at Blade & Bow and started J. Earl & Sons, doing exactly the aforementioned. Jeff travels just about everywhere, hunting for goods, both vintage and new, to add to his personal collection and the shop as well. But my favorite part about collecting vintage barware, everything can be used, it doesn't break the bank, and you could do it all at J. Rowland Sons. So without further ado, Jeff Parrott for Collector's Gym Radio. Jeff, cheers to having you on Collector's Gym Radio. Ah, awesome, man. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, being that we're going to be talk, talking about vintage barware today, why don't you tell us the, the drink of choice uh, this past holiday weekend? So I'm a big bourbon dude. I uh, drink a lot of Blade & Bow. Um, but, you know, this time of year, it's hard for people to transition from the wintery bourbon drinks to summery bourbon drinks. And we do an awesome uh, two parts Blade & Bow, one part uh, elderflower liqueur topped with club soda and an orange slice. It's it's amazing. It's light and fresh. Anybody who says they don't like bourbon or they don't drink it in the summer, they need to try it. All right, done. I'm going to I'm going to put that recipe in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Are are you a fan of all types of liquor or are there some that just don't do it for you cuz I I definitely have my bugaboos in the in the liquor space. Sure. I mean, I think it's more about what what excites you now, right? And that for sure. me has been kind of ever changing. Uh, I've always been, you know, I'm from the South, I'm from Oklahoma, so brown water, brown spirits have always been a thing kind of in my culture uh, with my people. Uh, but I also worked on tequila. I ran Don Julio tequila for three and a half years. So I got a little agave in my veins too. And there more recently, I'm into gin. Like, um, you know, gin is in. But if you talked to me 15 years ago, I'd be talking about vodka. So I think that's kind of the exciting thing about the category it's it is it it's ever changing and different times mean different categories and that's what makes it fun. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I never used to like whiskeys or bourbons or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have something that's really good and exceptional and your your palate completely changes after that. Absolutely. And you get into it, right? Part of it is like the tasting, right? And of course the aromas that go with it. But then there's also like the discerning values of getting into the education and the understanding and the provenance and the people behind it. That's, that's what makes it cool for me. All right. So you're, you're the proprietor of 
J. Earl and Sons, which essentially celebrates the home bar. How did you land here? <laughs> well, it actually started many moons ago when I first met my wife and my mother-in-law, who has many sons-in-laws, always needed to find her niche gift to get her guys, right? And so I, because I worked in the spirits industry, she started giving me uh, barware. Uh, a lot of it was stuff that was actually her father's. Um, I have a sterling silver, uh, just a thimbleful uh, jigger uh, that was his. But every holiday, you know, every birthday, et cetera, she was giving me barware, a lot of old stuff, but a lot of new stuff too. So I always had a great collection, but then COVID hit and everyone was cocktailing at home. And home bars, the presentation of home bars through social media was becoming a thing. And it had always been an area that I wanted to jump into. So we jumped in and got the thing off the ground in like a month and a half. So it's been kind of fun times ever since. Did you have a storefront right away like you do now or? Nope. We started completely online. Um, We started with uh, procuring our glasses, right? So our edge glasses are kind of our primary seller and, 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 and items that we actually sell wholesale into different stores and shops around. But finding the right glass, you know, a lot of the vintage double all fashions, while the style is very cool, the size is very small and, and we like big drinks these days. And so we wanted to find the perfect glass that had size and scale and some girth to it, but then etch it with motif designs that were inspired by, you know, vintage, vintage etch glasses of the day. So we did everywhere, everything from a fox to a trout to a, a sailboat. Um, the intent is they harken back to vintage designs, but they're made modern for today. So we started there. We looked at over 50 glasses to find the right one. We landed on an Italian glass and then it's imported and we actually etch it here in the U.S. with our our designs. From there, uh, my wife was the one that brought up, hey, everyone loves your vintage barware collection. Why don't you start selling a lot of antique and vintage? And we've always been collectors and hunters. It's a big part of just not just my wife and I's life, but also my boys. And so we started procuring and finding as much antique vintage barware as we actually could. Um, so the, the collection got deeper and richer and also kept a lot of people coming back because we only release a certain amount of pieces every week. And then we kind of filled in with good quality uh, pieces that you don't find at your big box stores. So whether it's English pewter and silver that we, we get from a, a guy that's great at sourcing dip from different makers kind of all around England to um, Kentucky uh, harness leather goods, whether it's coasters or, or or um, coasters or flask. We try to create within each category, like spe- find special makers that are doing good stuff that we, w- that we would love, that we know our folks would love. And so the motivation behind starting J. Earl and Sons was all this time at home and, and people drinking at home and, and really promoting it pretty heavily during the pandemic. But you kind of got started in this industry, like you mentioned, Previously, I mean, would you say that that was the real motivation behind eventually starting this or at least the the Kickstarter? Yeah, it was always like a space that I've got not only a lot of education in, right? A lot of career stuff within the, the spirits world, but also like the nuances to it, right? Like what is my area of the category? And I've always kept an eye. I go to very as many interesting liquor stores as I can find. And there's actually not a ton of really interesting ones. 
but also have an eye out for good barware. Um, it's always been part of a collection I have, and that collection just spawned. But I tell you what I did too in COVID was bring my sons in. And for me, it's a, a part of that is about, you know, keeping a legacy. You know, who knows if they'll do it in the future uh, after dad gets a little tired, but the opportunity will be there. And they were a big help for me to kind of get it off the ground. Do they help me much now? No, it maybe should be called Gerald and, <laughs> and wife versus sons. Yeah. Uh, but I do go take all the big decisions back to them, whether it's the next cap that we're going to offer or new new etchings and new glasses are going to do. So I do try to involve them in the business. Love that. Now, are you, since you're also a collector as well as a dealer, are you collecting the same type of vintage barware that you like to sell in the shop or do you have your own little specific niche? Well, you know, one of my favorite phrases or, or quotes is, you know, it's not hoarding if you got good stuff. So <laughs> I always pick up stuff that I like. I try to, to trade it out. My wife thinks I get a little bit too heavy on stuff, so I try to trade it out and upgrade as much as I can. But yeah, I've got a collection that is wide and deep, and it will continue to grow as, as long as I'm doing to, doing this. Do you ever sell anything from your personal collection, or is that just you're, you're stocking all that away? I do. I try to actually, I've got a little box of stuff that I, um, and I, uh, I give to the boys for their future bars. And I also try to give them good Christmas gifts that are special bar pieces each year so that they've got quite a collection as, as they kind of go forward in their adult life. Collecting is obviously different across many categories, right? If you collect wine, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily drink the wine all that often. A lot of it sits in their cellar or art, right? It sits on the wall, you admire it, but you can't really do anything. You know, you can't put it in your car and go on a road trip with it. When it comes to vintage barware, you can use it all you want. But obviously, sometimes when it comes to things that are rare or fragile, you don't want to mess with it. But do you like to use all the stuff that you collect? I do, right? The only thing that gets a little bit difficult, and it's actually kind of Part of it is the preciousness of the price points of it is all the old sterling silver barware is absolutely amazing and functional. Like there's sterling silver will polish again and again. So it will always be good. But I always just it. There's a part of me that it's almost just too precious to use. But other than that, I use everything else and then keep those kind of special sterling silver pieces a little bit off to the side. I know I shouldn't, but I do. This is a common question that I ask. And I'm sure the listeners are probably getting sick of me asking it, but I'm getting more and more guests on that like to collect in the areas that they deal in. So it always intrigues me to know as someone who collects vintage barware, but also likes to sell it, what's that tug of war kind of like, if you will, between keeping items for yourself and then subsequently for the shop? <laughs> it's hell, right? <laughs> uh, I find actually new bars to create, right? So I actually am, um, I like nautical stuff. Our house is more kind of hunk country style uh, with a lot of taxidermy and a, a, and a lot of um, dark furniture, but I, I love the nautical pieces. And so I've got a collection for a beach house that will hopefully be coming in the future. But I also just bought a vote that I'm renovating that I'm going to put a whole bar in the bottom. So a lot of my nautical pieces that are kind of seaworthy will go there. So I rationalize it, whether it's in my existing bar or the bars of the future and kind of hoard it away and keep it for the future. Love it. 
curating is obviously a huge portion of what you have to do for your personal collection and for the business. How do you curate for the shop though, right? Are you hunting goods from all over or do you have your go-to select few of dealers and, and pickers for you? Where are you traveling? Yeah, we go far and wide, right? So my wife does actually a ton of buying way up in upstate New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont. And I travel immensely for my bourbon work. So I literally throw the biggest L.L. Bean tote that you've ever seen in my bag, and I take it along with me. But I will tell you the most interesting thing that we found on this journey is just because it depends on where you are is the type of barware that they have for kind of the vintage periods. Wealth was pocketed in different places. So in places like Texas, Oklahoma, and Georgia, you can find some absolutely amazing sterling silver stuff from the 30s, 40s, and 50s when the wealth, whether it be oil or industry or whatever, took off. Amazing, precious, fine barware in those locations. But then middle of Pennsylvania, where we go um, quite a bit to, to do some picking, a lot of, of metalwork, a lot of cast iron. Um, and it's because those are river towns and that, that was the byproduct of that region in that area. And for some reason, when we go way up in New England, we tend to find a pretty vast collection of a lot of different things, but you're never on the hunt for one thing because it, it takes too long. You have to be open to everything. So we buy as much as we possibly can because we know we're gonna need it in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I, I always am curious to know what, you know, I, I also love hunting for antiques and even vintage barware too, anywhere I go. Um, always stuff that, you know, it's easy to bring home. And it's always interesting to see what certain areas of the world and and, and what what's in the stores, like you said, but also when you go back to those places, has anything changed, right? Is it still the same stuff? We obviously get a huge mix of stuff here in Arizona because we get people from all over the country, especially the East Coast moving here or having second homes here. So we get a lot of that stuff, but we also get a lot of the Western Spanish colonial sort of stuff too. So it's it's pretty neat. Sure. I, I will tell you, Matt Anik, you know, with WM Brown, he keeps telling me I got to go to Italy and France. So that's kind of, that's going to be the next big buying journey. He finds some amazing, amazing stuff that tends to be the vintage branded stuff, but it, it, he says they have it in droves over there. They really do. I mean, uh, my wife and I were just in Lake Como and the town of Como is obviously fairly small. And there was like one little antique shop and it was a holiday weekend, but I called the store and the guy picked up and the store wasn't open, but he's like, I live right down the street. If you want to come, let me know when I'll meet you there. I'll open up the store for you. You could poke around for a bit. And we just found like the greatest little set of espresso cups to bring back. And he had amazing rugs and, and artwork that I wish we had more room for. But it was a little room, maybe, you know, 10 feet by eight feet. And uh, just so such a great feeling walking into a small place like that in a different country and, and finding something. Well, and that's as a couple, that's what you guys have identified what your journey is to collecting, right? And we're the exact same way. You know, our our boys will complain and moan because they've been to every, you know, antique store that's good across America, but someday they're going to look back and appreciate it. I don't know if their wives will so much because they'll have a strong opinion, but um, that's part of the journey, right? The find is, is, is part of the collecting journey. Absolutely. 
I would have to assume at this point in your career and, and kind of being known as, as this guy of vintage barware and, and home bars and all that stuff, are, I'm, I'm assuming you're getting asked by people to kind of curate home bars for them. I'm, I would have to assume that that's kind of another side of your business now. I do. And that's the fun part, right? I like people. I like, that's why I love the bourbon work because I ton, talk to tons of people each weekend. Um, but yeah, that's fun. I tell you some of the, the most fun ones we've done is where moms and dads come together and they want to actually give their son a bar out of college, right? You're an adult and they want them to appreciate alcoholic beverage. And so the mom tends to work with me to procure all the barware, right? And the dad actually goes out and buys all the spirits. So at the end of the day, these lucky guys primarily have these awesome bars that their mom and dad have passionately put together for them and started them out on the right foot. Amazing. How about curating collections for people, right? Are, are people now also asking besides their home bars, but hey, I want to collect vintage barware and I want to collect, uh, you know, rare liquor and all these things. Is that something that you're getting asked to? I do. I've always gotten the call of I need to find Pappy, right? And I do have a lot of deep connections with the industry and I always help where I can. And I've always had people contact me that have a collection of spirits or wine that they need to whether their parents had a great collection and they need to move it on or their collections getting big too big. So I always connect them with the right Sotheby's or, or, or Christie's folks, or actually lead them to auctions. One of the best things that you can actually do is donate your product to charity because not only do you, does it go to a good cause, but you get a write-off based on, you know, what, what it sells for. So that there's a, there's a good model in that too. But around barware, what's interesting to me is I've got a few guys who are looking for specific brand stuff. So there's one guy specifically that is always looking for the Aber the old Abercrombie and Fitch stuff, which is amazing. Now the reality is he's asking me because he knows there's not a lot out there, right? So he knows <laughs> yeah. I see a lot. So I've only always got my eye out for the individuals looking for those type of pieces. But again, it's you can't ever walk into a place looking for a thing. You've got to have your eyes open all the time and just buy as you go. Isn't it amazing that Abercrombie and Fitch used to do that stuff? Yeah. I've got an awesome hamper that holds wine bottles and champagne bottles. That is one of those pieces I just hope never, ever sells. <laughs> if someone wanted to collect vintage barware, where would you direct them in terms of brand specifics? Uh, of course, we're directing them to shop at J. Earl and Sons, but brand-wise, is there a brand that if someone wanted to get into collecting vintage barware that they should be focusing on as a good entryway point? Well, I mean, there are of the precious high-end sterling, especially the the English, the Aspreys, the, the different English brands that created barware back in the day. But my fear, and it's almost just like what's going on bourbon right now, that if people are only chasing the rare, highly coveted, it, which ends up being very expensive stuff, that it's going to throw them off the market altogether, right? Collect what you like, right? It's all about the character, bringing character to your bar. So I wouldn't say start chasing on the precious. Start just with like the items that you need, right? And cultivate your bar around that. And then as you go, if you find another pair of tongs that are better than the ones that you got, then you just upgrade it. But my whole thing is, you know, enjoy it, make it pleasure, don't make it pain. Because if you're only searching for the precious, especially in barware that's actually used, it's going to be few and far between. And you're going to pay so much for it that you're going to lose interest in it. 
what's your take on a bar cabinet slash armoire or a bar cart? Yeah. So, and this is a question that I get a lot. Um, a lot of people, especially in cities, want to start with a bar cart. And I will always kind of persuade them to maybe think about the top of a dresser or a buffet, create an, an existing piece of furniture, because as good as a bar cart can look, they're functionally really hard to use. Like you're bent over and just the amount of space, because most of them are oval, you, you lose kind of the four corners of space to work with. So you can get everything on your bar cart and it can look great, but then you don't have a single place to actually fix a drink. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's good advice. A lot of people don't repurpose furniture because it says the word dresser in it or it says TV cabinet, but it, it all serves the same purpose. Yeah, in both of those. We love a dresser with a big tray on it and build your collection around that. And some of the coolest bars we've ever seen are the ones that are unsuspecting, where it's either a coat closet in somebody's house or an armoire that looks like it's probably, you know, an old French armoire that looks like it's probably used to have a TV in it that opens up to an unbelievable collection of barware and spirits together, which is amazing. I love that. What's your thoughts? And every home is different decor wise, but I love both of these looks. So I'm always curious. I love the the look of, you know, a, a buffet table or a sideboard where all the bottles of liquor are out and it just consumes a whole table. I love that look, but I also love an organized cabinet and everything put away. What are you seeing more of these days? Well, what we what we help people do is there's a typical thing with guys that, you know, they start their bar and it's like all the bottles are lined up against the back of whatever <laughs> it is, a bar, a buffet or whatever, right? And it ends up looking a little fraternity house-ish, right? So what we try to coach folks with is start with a tray, whether it's vintage or whether it's new. A tray will add depth and dimension. And actually, if you put your bottles within the tray, you're building it towards you or out versus across the back. And so if you if you can imagine getting everything in a tray, spirits-wise, to your left or to your right, it allows that other space, that kind of other space where the tray is not, for you to put more barware, but also more importantly, functionally allows you to use the bar. So the tray is kind of our number one kind of secret on how to build an adult bar. What are the go-to vintage barware goods that folks can get at J. Earl and Sons that you think everyone should have in their home? Sure. So I love the antler pieces. They're incredibly hard to find right now. A lot of the makers are not making them anymore. They are shed antlers for all those that are concerned about the animal side of things. But it is craftsmanship that is not going to be available that much longer. And so those are kind of one of my personal go-to pieces that I love. The shakers, you know, everyone needs a shaker. There's a tremendous amount of, you know, mass-produced big box ones. But look for vintage shakers. There's some amazing cobalt blue ones that were done back in the day with boats on them, with um, fox hunting scenes on them. Kind of look at each one of the categories that you need to build a bar, and we have a great kind of tutorial on the our website on how to do it. But and pick the pieces that you, you're looking for, and then you you go in deep on them. Um, the pieces that I would actually probably not start with are the vintage glasses. Vintage glasses are absolutely amazing and quite in vogue right now. But build out all the other pieces and get your core glasses that you're going to drink on a daily, on more of a daily, weekly basis, 
and then add the antique and vintage ones around those that you're functionally going to use all the time. We love the vintage highballs. They do, they're a great size. They tend to be qu quite sturdy. We like those typically over the double fashions because a lot of times they're just so small. Coupes and cocktail glasses, you know, there's a whole resurgence of the vintage coupe. And I, my first coupe question is back. <laughs> yeah. And everyone asks, what do I do with these? Right. And I always say boozy cocktails, right? It's, and everyone's like, well, what's a boozy cocktail? And it's a cocktail, like a paper plane that has nothing in it except for straight alcohol. And some of them are so tiny and so petite, you love them, but you don't think there's enough for you. Make a pitcher of cocktails and, and pour that little boozy cocktail in at portions at a time versus trying to get all one big cocktail in there at a time. That's good advice. What would you say about vintage barware that is so much better because I, I find that it truly is, um, especially cocktail shakers than the modern stuff. I, it's character, right? Like that's what we always say we try to do is we put character in your home bar. All the big box stuff is made for mass, right? And a lot of it is very uh, modern and modern stuff is good. And we love modern stuff mixed in, but for forever pieces that you want to hand down to your grandkids, like they don't have the character that in the new stuff, or if they do have character, it's not going to last very long. So that's, that's why we lean in so heavy into the antique and vintage. You mentioned earlier about that hamper kind of bottle cabinet that you have that's ultra rare. What are some other really unique or rare vintage barware pieces that you've come across in this journey? Well, I will tell you one that got away and I, I coveted it and it sat across from my desk here at the shop. It was a, a vintage, I, I, I think it was probably from the 30s or the 40s, um, but a, like a vintage taxidermy ram horns with brass that was basically a smoke station. So it had two containers where you would either put cigarettes or cigars and then it had a place that you slid your matches into. It was an amazing piece and it had a little carrying handle. And when a woman walked into the shop um, here locally to buy it for her uh, brother in North Carolina, I gasped because I really wanted to know if he was going to appreciate it. And I told her, if he doesn't want this, I will happily buy it back. And again and again, I feel like going back to her to say, is he really enjoying that or is it a piece that I could get back? <laughs> Those are the best. I, I love those stories of, you know, collectors slash dealers finding something rare or really special. Is there anything that stands out from, you know, being in a different state and, and walking into an antique shop and finding something that you're just like, holy cow, I can't believe I just stumbled upon this. Yeah, there was a Holland and Holland uh, pewter flask that I found in Oklahoma of all places. Wow. Yeah. Back home. Yeah. So that was just... Uh, oh my goodness. And my wife was like, what, what? And I'm like, no, 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 this is coming home with us no matter what. If it's not for me, somebody out there will truly appreciate it. Any exciting plans for the future of J. Earl and Sons? I mean, I know you, you hope that the kids take, take it over in, in a legacy program, but anything, uh, new products that you guys are finding or working on that, that you can share with us? Yeah. So the, one of the things that is completely hot trend right now that we can't get enough of are ashtrays. The old cigar ashtrays and cigarette ashtrays. Like the ceramic uh, ones. The ceramic ones, the metal ones, like everywhere. Uh, in fact, uh, WM Brown did an article on them. And 
and we had been selling them for a while and then he did it and it just feels like it all exploded at one time. Yep. Um, but we are working with a, uh, a group in Portugal where we're actually making uh, cigar ashtrays that are the hunter green and white with our big pheasant on it and our, our crest, the JL and Sons crest on it. So we hope to have those in the fall. And then our bar backs, right? I had a bar. It's just a bag that somebody had given me years ago that was canvassed with leather handles that I throw in the car. I keep it basically stocked with all the barware and then just put the spirits in. But I take it to the beach. I take it to tailgates and everyone has always used an odd over them. So we actually went out and created our own. And we sold, we had them this holiday and we sold through them. We're waiting for another shipment right now. Um, and people can't get enough of them. They're, they're just the awesome size and shape because the bottles all sit up, but it's not so big where everything kind of collapses on, on top of each other and falls down. Love that. We'll be on the lookout for the, uh, the ashtrays and the bag. Great. All right, Jeff, let's wrap it up here with the collector's gene rundown. I know you collect many things, so feel free to answer these questions based on any of the collections or stories that you have, whether it's barware or anything else. Sound good? Yeah, great. All right. You may have answered this one a couple minutes ago, but what's the one that got away? Uh, it was that Ram and Brass uh, smoke station. And again, if this guy is listening, I will happily buy it back from him. <laughs> if he's not listening, just send him the episode so he knows it's top of mind. Yeah, exactly. We will do that. How about the on deck circle? So is there anything that you have your eye on that you're kind of on the hunt for? Yeah, it's the ashtrays, right? We are going nutty to get as many ashtrays as we possibly can. Um, and they're hard to find, right? You'll find one or two. Um, and, it, and we're not just isolated to the big cigar ones, right? Everyone is buying the cigarette. We One of our best vintage items that we can get a hold of are like the old school cigarette brass ones that have hunting dogs or, or ducks on them. So we are going as heavy and getting as many ashtrays as possible. Love it. The page one rewrite. So if you could collect anything besides your current money, no object, what would it be and why? Uh, it's watches. I did not. I have one vintage Rolex that I got as a wedding gift that was vintage there. So it's even more vintage now that I covet and I love. But when everyone was and I don't know what happened to me and how I, I missed out on it. Um, but I missed the whole watch thing and it's too late for me to get in now. Um, I also, I've got so many other things that I've got going. The, the depth of knowledge for me to dive in is tough, but it's one of those things that I appreciate and I wish I would have done back in the day. <laughs> A lot of things are getting unobtainable. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, what is the unobtainable for you? One that you can't have, maybe it's too expensive in a museum or a private collection. It's the absolutely precious sterling silver, most of it English barware, shakers, jiggers. I see them. I buy what I can. It's very hard to find the ones that are absolutely pristine. I think Ralph Lauren's folks do a beautiful job of finding what they find. But that is, you know, I ooh and all over it. But I don't pull myself up to that line, even as passionate and as committed as I am to barware. How about the goat? So who do you look up to in the collecting world? Um, well, there's a few, right? Uh, John Rosselli, who has forever collected the blue and white um, chinoiserie export stuff. He's been collecting it way before it was in vogue. So I always appreciate his collection. David Sloan, who owns Roseville Farm. He's got a place in Wellington and a place here in Millbrook, New York. 
he's got an unbelievable collection of equestrian stuff, whether it's teardrop tailors that he's repurposed for tailgating, whether it's old tack signs or old tack, he's done a beautiful job. But more importantly with David, it's not just finding the pieces. He passionately does the work himself or finds makers that can help him um, to to bring them back to kind of where they should be or what, what he wants on his farms. So he does a beautiful job and I totally appreciate that he gets into it. He's not too precious himself. It's not just a, I collect there and I, therefore I have people fix. He does it himself. And I think that's, what's cool about it. And the other one, which is kind of a, a, a great character that everyone loves is Tom Samet, right? Tom Samet's always been um, a great uh, designer uh, based out in the Hamptons. And he has amazing collections from, you know, Hermes to Gucci to whatever. But uh, the thing that I've always appreciated about Tom and kind of my journey of getting to know him is that dude collects friends like nobody's business. And I think that is a, as much as he loves his material things, he loves the people and the people connection too. So he's always done a great job of collecting people. The hunt or the ownership? So which one do you love more? Are they equal to you? Um, the hunt creates so much anxiety, you know, I pull up (laughs) if it's a flea market, whether it's a, and the junkier, the better for me, the anxiety of going in there is like adrenaline. Right. But I really, it's, it's the, the ownership, right. Um, I don't like to get rid of stuff. It, it actually hurts me to get rid of stuff. I can tell you everything that I've let go in my past that I should have kept, um, so as, as much as I, the excitement of the, the pursuing, um, the joy of ownership is what it is for me. Jeff, most importantly, do you feel that you were born with the collector's gene? <laughs> I don't know, but it sure as hell feels good. Uh, <laughs> something I enjoy. I don't know if it's a nature or nurture thing. There was a, a kid's book back in the day, and I'm sure it's, it's got a name that everyone knows, about some child, um, maybe he was an orphan or maybe he was in a, a, a foster care sort of situation. But the guy collected things that meant something to him, even as a small child, and displayed them preciously, and they were his treasures. And I remember that book to this day of like starting that, you know, it's not that you have to have everything, but you have to appreciate what you have. And that's always been what's kind of guided me through this is, you know, I don't, I don't have to have everything, but I do like to like the things that I do have. Love it. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today on Collector's Dream Radio. Uh, really excited for all the plans that you have for Jay Earl and Sons. And uh, all I could say is chin chin. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye bye. All right, that does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening to Collector's Gene Radio.